Howdy. Man, it took a while for them to pick some free candy there, didn't they? Oh, my word. It's like, just get the Snickers. Oh, my goodness. One of the things with, with little kids, though, is it's always kind of fun to see, like, how focused that they can get, what's right in front of them. I, uh, I always found it interesting to think about, like, childhood. And when I was in second grade, did not have a whole lot of friends. Well, back then, though, when the teachers saw at one point whenever there were a bunch of kids that were, were picking on me one day, and she decided she was going to step in, right? And, and she was going to fix it all. Now, does everybody know the phrase, uh, snitches get stitches? Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Well, apparently, uh, elementary school abides by the same rules as prison. So, you know, this is uh, important to keep note of. Uh, because, so the teacher went and made each one of those kids write me an apology, you know, page of like, I am so sorry that, you know, that I did this, and we're going to be the best of friends, and, you know, uh, I hope you can forgive me. And, and so, of course, I had a whole bunch of friends the rest of the school year, right? Oh, yeah, nobody talked to me the rest of the time at all. You see, that's the thing about this, then, is we can't end up forcing people to actually be sorry for things, but trying to then force them to see the need to change, yeah, oftentimes we end up creating the very fights themselves. But the thing with this is also is when we think about what these, you know, these little bickerings, these, these little uh, you know, issues and differences, where they come from, what starts them? Why do they keep going? And truth be told, there are many different reasons why we may have a conflict with somebody. It could be any number of things. Now, I have a younger sister. Now, granted, you know, she caused the vast majority of all of our issues, of course. You know, I mean, I was the good older brother, right? Of course. Um, but let's say hypothetically that maybe, just maybe, a few of the things might have been my fault, maybe. The thing is, is that after a while, though, what happens when the parents try to come in and figure out, okay, who started it? That is a terrible way to try to figure it out from right there. Because everyone's got uh, some other reason for why the other person started it. But even more than that, it really doesn't even matter who started it. Because both of them are going to keep it up the entire time. And it could be for any number of reasons. It could be because we think that we have to make a point. If we don't end up pushing what, 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 what we're arguing or what we're discussing, if we let it go, well, then we haven't made our point to the other person. Or maybe we feel the need that we've got to defend ourselves. We need to make sure that they take us seriously, that they understand that, well, we were wronged. Or sometimes we think that we're actually you know, keeping someone else in their place. If I don't make sure you know how bad you were, well, you know, we, we know what you're going to do tomorrow. We have all sorts of reasons for keeping our fights and our arguments, and we think that we're in the right. But what's interesting about this is that it even goes beyond whether we think that we're doing what's right. It's also, in a sense, a feeling of survival. There's a discussion. Um, if in scientific circles, there is uh, oftentimes a question about why is it 
that if the world has an evolutionary development, then why would any of us ever want to look out for another human being? Or even more than that, even if we're protecting family or children, why would we ever care about helping the people that are around us? And there are all sorts of discussions and theories about that, about, well, you know, maybe genetically there's something inside of you that you're thinking of them as like your distant cousin, or maybe you're trying to create a society so that they look out for you too. But over and over again, it keeps coming down to this idea of, well, we're all just selfish, and that's all that we have to hope for. Kind of an empty way of looking at the world, don't you think? With that, though, is that that also taps into what we struggle with. Because many times when we are either trying to fight for ourselves or we're trying to defend something about ourselves, we're also afraid of looking weak. And we're afraid that if we look weak, then someone else will take advantage of us. So with that, I would like to teach you all a big word. All right? I learned it at seminary. It made me feel really, really smart. All right? So I want you all to try and say this with me. Okay, it's five syllables. All right? It's called majesticum. Okay? Let's go. Uh, let, 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 I want you to pull that slide up. Okay? Uh, oh, squeeze to the next one. Perfect. Right? So say it with me now. Majesticum. All right. Why do we have this big word? It's the idea that Jesus is both human and God. So every time he did something amazing, every time he did something godly, the human part was also doing it too. So when Jesus is doing a miracle, the human was also doing the miracle. When Jesus rose from the dead, the human was rising from the dead. So all these amazing things that Jesus did, he did as both God and human. But I want you to see that other word that's afterward. Okay? It's pronounced tapenaticon. And don't worry, you don't have to repeat that one. I know, right? This one became controversial. The reason it was controversial was that people were trying to say maybe it works the other way too. Everything that Jesus did that was human, the fact that he suffered, the fact that he struggled, the fact that he died, the fact that he was tempted, all these things is that the God part of Jesus did those as well. And the reason why that got tricky, because we might say, well, like, okay, yeah, Jesus did all of that, but here's why it's tricky, is that people thought that that meant that to become human, Jesus had to get rid and empty himself of his godness. They called it kenosis, but what they thought was that, well, Jesus must have gotten rid of the God part in order to become our Savior and our Messiah. Now, does that sound right to you? That's the trouble with it, is that people could tell that that does not sound like Jesus. Jesus never stopped being God in order to do the things that were difficult. But that also plays into our ideas as well, is that we're oftentimes afraid that if we show ourselves to be weak or empathetic or compassionate, 
that that means that somehow we're not strong enough on the inside anymore. We're afraid that we lose a part of ourselves if someone might see us as kind, as compassionate, as forgiving. And that's one of the struggles, is this feeling that in order to emphasize that I am confident, I can never give anything in to you. There was a, an, an episode of, uh, of Friends, it was on the television, um, for the youngins, it was this TV show. There were three guys, three girls. They dated each other, argued for 10 years, and in the end, moved into another apartment. I think that sums up everything. So, yeah. But with it, there was one part where Ross and Rachel, and it's been 20 years, so if you didn't know this by now, that's kind of on you, but they had a baby. And I know, I know, surprising. But they were trying to find a nanny. And they go through all these different nannies, but they finally found one that was perfect. Played the flute, uh, made perfect madelines. Madelines are pretty delicious. Uh, would actually know all these stories to tell with puppets. But what was the problem? It was a man. Oh, man. And that's the whole thing was that, you know, this is like late 90s, early 2000s and stuff like that. And Ross was like, I can't have a man be a nanny. I can't have him be a manny. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was a terrible joke. But with it, though, is it became this huge part because for Ross is that he was worried that then his child would associate men with some level of weakness. And then at the end of the episode, ended up realizing that he had always felt unmanly because he liked dinosaurs and went to school. And it became this whole thing that came up that somehow by showing tenderness and compassion with that child is that he was afraid it demonstrated weakness. And that's oftentimes what we end up seeing and doing ourselves, is that somehow we have to think that we have to push ourselves and promote ourselves. Here, jump to the next slide real quick. You see, the thing is, though, that in the midst of this, we don't actually have a choice. This isn't actually one of the things where God is saying, maybe you should be kind to each other. Maybe you should, you know, deal with your arguments. He's very clear. You are supposed to make good with the people that are around you. You are supposed to find a way to get through that. Now, I tell you, you have to deal with all the fights and the arguments in your life. Does that make you want to do that? Yeah, no, not, not exactly. Not so much. But the reason why it comes up is asking the question of why. Because the truth is, is that we are oftentimes spending so much time holding on to our need for strength, for our need to assert ourselves, that we're not asking what is it that the Spirit of God is speaking. So I want you to ask a question. When was the last time that you thought God was saying, I need you to hold a grudge? When was the last time that you heard the Spirit of God saying, I need you to keep anger in your heart? When was the last time that God 
said to you, I need you to be bitter and frustrated and angry. See, that's the hard part about this, is that whenever we're spending so much time trying to assert ourselves, the reason why it's such a big deal is because it causes us to stop listening for what it is that God is trying to say to us. We're trying so hard to make sure we get out there that we're not willing to ask what God is trying to do. And I want to go back to the context of this passage. Paul was in jail. Things were not going very well for Paul. Now, what could Paul have done? You know, man, that Timothy guy, he just kept blabbering on at the wrong time and got people's attention, and then they throw me in prison and not Timothy. Oh, good job, whatever. Boy, can you believe what it is that they were saying about me? They got all this stuff wrong about me, and now they think that I'm some terrible person. They threw me in jail. What, maybe if I, okay, let's go reach out to the church at Philippi and let's let them know, I need you to send me a hacksaw, okay? Get me the cake, okay? Put the saw in there. I'll go and, like, you know, cut out the back, the, the little bars, and you come grab me and we'll, we'll, we'll get away, right? Is that in this passage, he's not focusing on himself. What does he end up, up doing? And the, uh, the, the, the verses from 19 through 30, the next slide, what we end up seeing is that he ends up spending his time talking about everybody else and what they're doing well. He ends up showing how helpful Timothy has been along the way. He ends up showing that Epaphroditus that had been sent from Philippi had come over there to help him out. And he ends up getting sick, like almost dying, because the conditions in jail are pretty terrible but he went to help out Paul. If Paul had spent all of his time looking for the people to be angry with and to get upset at, he wouldn't have had the time or the energy to be looking out for the people around him. And more than that, he wouldn't have had any place with the guards because they're like, oh great, it's another prisoner complaining and saying he doesn't belong here. But he's so focused on the gospel that he doesn't have time or energy to focus on himself. And that's the issue here, is that when we are spending all of our time trying to assert ourselves, we end up losing sight of what God wants us to see most clearly, his sacrifice and his love for us and for the world. You see, we don't just do it individually, too. We also do it as a church. You see, sometimes we want to make sure that we look powerful. We don't want anyone to step on us. We don't want anybody to take advantage of us. We want to make sure that when anybody sees us, that they see strength, and they see confidence, and they see how good we are at things. But in reality, it's the times when we're compassionate and understanding whenever we put ourselves to the side to help out others, when we take the time to heal the bridges with other people, when we take the time to bring mercy and hope to other people, is that that's whenever people stop looking at the church and they start looking at the one that we worship. See, that's the thing, is that if we spend so long asserting ourselves, then when will the rest of the world ever see Christ in 
See, rather than trying our hardest to be strong in the ways that make sense to us, Christ is asking us to be strong in the ways that he was. Strong enough to serve others. Strong enough to let himself be taken to a cross. Strong enough to bring hope to others even when he had to suffer for it. You see, we miss out on that if all we want to do is focus on the times when we have been harmed. So, in closing this idea out, I'd like to bring up three different individuals. One of them was Samson. Those of you who know the story from Judges, he was a strong man. And he spent a lot of time making sure that he asserted how strong he was. He not only was uh, not going to let anybody take advantage of him, to the point of killing people in order to steal their clothing to win a bet, or even tying fire to the tails of foxes to burn down the fields of someone who had wronged him, and even making sure that he was a man's man and a lady's man and made sure that he got whatever and whomever he wanted, but then lost sight of who he was and had his hair and his strength taken and blinded. But it wasn't when he was healed and perfect, but rather in the midst of his weakness, being imprisoned and blind, that God gave him back his strength so that he could stop the Philistines. And that it was only when he was weak that God could be proclaimed. The second, we have Luther in our name as Lutheran. Luther could sometimes be a little bit of an idiot from time to time. Let's just be honest. He was a bit of a stubborn guy. But from time to time, fortunately, also being a man of God, there were also the times when he realized what he needed to do for his fellow human being. And one of his rivals, Karl Stott, basically kept uh, disagreeing with him here, there, and everywhere. But he was being blamed for instigating the Peasants' War. Luther took this rival and hid him in his house for eight weeks and gave him time to write a letter explaining to everyone that he did not create the Peasants' War and saved his life instead of just leaving him to fend him for himself. And finally, to remind us that at the time whenever the Apostle Peter wanted Jesus to be clear with the guards about who was really in charge. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Because it's only when we step back that we can truly see what God is doing in and through us. And that is the only place where we can truly find strength and hope for ourselves and for the world around us. Thanks be to God.